0: Good morning. good morning. We're kind of packed in here a little bit today. We uh, weren't able to have the V3 this morning. We just had a lot of musicians that were sick or out of town, so we're all back in here like one big family. It's good to see everybody. weren't the kids awesome this morning? Yeah. Sounds like we should have, been, as adults, we should have had to do those hand motions too. It Have been like warming up before a sporting event, you know, stretch us all out and uh, get us ready. Thought they did a great job. All remember the show Extreme Home Makeover. Y'all remember that show? It uh, lasted for about nine years, ended in uh, 2012. In fact, they even did one over here in the, the Fort Oglethorpe Rossville area. One of their shows was actually done there. What producers would do, if you're not familiar, if you don't remember, they would come into a, to a city and they would help a family that, for whatever the reason, their house was not meeting their needs. Maybe they had somebody that was handicapped, and the house just wasn't working for them. Or maybe they had adopted a lot of kids, and their home wasn't big enough. Or, or sometimes it was a veteran who had been injured in a in a war, and uh, they had you know just needed to, to change the house somewhat. So they'd come in, and they would just a lot of times just take the old house all the way down, and then just build up this new house with volunteers. And then there'd be this point in the show where the people would get to see their new home for the first time. And so the folks would be waiting to see their house and there would be this bus between them being able to see their new house and where they were sitting or standing. And do you remember what they would say, the chant they would say before the folks would get to see their new house? Anybody remember? Man, y'all are smart. Thank uh-huh. I felt love come flying at me, and I could do number but suck it up like a sponge. The only other experience I had to compare it to was the day that we came back from Iraq, and everybody had turned out and were just cheering us on. It seemed like it was a ceremony to honor me and my family. I can't wait to show you what's behind this bus, because I think it really is going to give you the things back that you deserve, which is your independence and your freedom. You ready to see what's behind this bus? Yeah. <laughs> I can we set it for word? You certainly can. To you when your heavenly father unveils to you your heavenly place, and I don't know if there will be an angel there that says, Move that cloud, (laughs) but the expression on your face, after all the troubles that we go through here and all the trials, it'll just all melt away like an ice cream cone on a hot July day, and it will all be worth it. That's the promise of the book of Revelation. In the end, God wins. It's tough now. It can be hard now. It can be difficult. It can be lonely. It's sometimes not fair now but in the end God wins that's the promise of the book of Revelation and can you imagine how encouraging that was to those first century believers when John penned the book of Revelation Nero is persecuting them for their faith they are being hung upside down on crosses They are being fed to wild lions. Josephus the historian tells us that some Christians were impaled upon poles after they were doused with oil. And then lit on fire to be street lights for the city. Those were the kind of things that were going on. And so there's this sense among the early Christians that that Satan is winning. You ever had that happen in your life? Like, no matter where you turned, it just seemed like the devil had the upper hand. Well, the early Christians, they certainly knew that. And the book of Revelation tells them that God is going to be victorious. So today we're going to look at the book of Revelation. And as we have done with most books, it's just going to kind of be an overview. There are 21 chapters and we don't have possibly have the time to go into all of those chapters. So we're going to kind of look at it as an overview. And this is the final Sunday of our series, The Story. We started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, way back in January. And here we are, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, in the book of Revelation. The writer John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. And while he is there... God gives him this vision or this revelation. And this revelation, this vision is both past and present. And it gives him a picture of what is happening in the physical world in that war between God and Satan. And you know, sometimes we look at the book of Revelation and it seems a little bit intimidating because it's kind of like not like any other book that you read. So we're going to kind of look at it today. I'm just going to kind of pick out some high points because to be honest with you, we don't even have time to ask all the questions about Revelation. Let a mind give all the answers. The book kind of deals with end times we often refer to it as. And uh, there's a theological term for that, eschatology, the study of the end times. But as you study the book, John just kind of gets a glimpse And that's one of the things that makes it hard is because we only have bits and pieces of the book of of, of what's going to happen at the end. The book of Revelation just gives us bits and pieces. There's an element of mystery here. And try as hard as we can, we're not certain of every detail. And no matter what your views on end times things, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-millennial, amillennial, pre-millennial, all those different kinds of things. I'm premillennial, pre-tribulation. We're not going to get into all that today just because of the time. But here's the most important thing. No matter where you fall on those kind of things, I love what Aaron Brockett says. The bottom line is about studying the book of Revelations. He says, when the apocalyptic dust settles, Make certain you're standing with Jesus. And he is absolutely right. So these early believers, it just feels like maybe defeat is inevitable with all the persecution, the death, and those kind of things that are surrounding them. But things aren't always as they seem. And John kind of reminds them of that. Just eight verses in, To the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 reads this way, and it's on the screen behind me. It says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So he's reminding them, Revelation teaches us that Jesus Christ is invincible. That he will conquer Satan, he will conquer evil, he will conquer the dragon, the beast, the false prophets. God will win. It's a book of hope. Sometimes I think we approach it as a book of fear. But it's really a book of hope because God is going to be victorious. You know, both of my parents died around Thanksgiving. My mom died eight years ago to this very day. And my dad passed away four days before Thanksgiving last year. And I was having a conversation with someone a few days after Thanksgiving that didn't know my dad had passed away. And they they just asked me, you know, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I said, well, it wasn't great. They said, oh, I'm sorry. What happened? I said, well, my dad died four days before Thanksgiving and I did his funeral the day before Thanksgiving. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And so we had this short conversation. And then I said something to the effect to to them. It's okay. I know where my dad is. And one of these days, I'm going to see him again. That gives us hope. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. It reminds us that Jesus is going to win. It uses the terms here, alpha and omega. It says Jesus is the alpha and omega. If you're not familiar with that term, it's talking about the Greek alphabet. In the Greek alphabet, alpha is the beginning and omega is the end. So it is telling us, John is saying Christ is the beginning. He's always been, he's always been there. And he is the end period. We take comfort in that because he is the beginning and the end. And then he goes a few verses more and he begins to tell us how Jesus conquers Satan in verse 12. He said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man. So here John is given a vision of Jesus Christ standing in the center of all these lampstands. And he explains that these lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia Minor. And Jesus is in the midst of these churches. By the way, welcome to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, it comes it with you comes at you with all sorts of numbers and all sorts of symbols and all sorts of sounds and images. If you're one of those people that like a book with lots of pictures, then you should like the book of Revelation because it's kind of a picture book, just countless pictures. There's a halo that encircles a throne. There's a seven-sealed scroll. There are lightning flashes. There are scorpions that fly. There is thunder rumbling and harps and bowls of incense and a quartet of horses and a sun that becomes dark and a moon that becomes blood red. And then there's the city of Jerusalem and a crystal river flowing through it. And John just constantly keeps coming with these different Images. It's like God is just giving him a peek into heaven. Just kind of a quick overview, not not a lengthy stay, and it's just enough to kind of blow our mind and blow John's mind. John just had a few details about this extraordinary euphoric experience. Just a sample, just a spoonful, if you will, of the glory. That's to come. I think sometimes we look at the book of Revelation and we think, well, it's a systematic book of of end-time theology. And it's really not systematic at all. You might just say it's it's actually more of a a picture book. So here's what we're going to do. Can't study all of it. There's all kinds of nuances to it and mysteries and those kind of things. So I just want to kind of pick out three main themes that I kind of see run through the book of Revelation. Here's takeaway number one. Everybody will someday stand before God. Everybody will someday stand before God. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, verse 27, it says, for it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're all gonna face judgment one day. For the unbeliever, it's going to be painful. It's going to be depressing, draining. It's going to remind them of a life filled with poor choices. And for those of us who are Christians, God is going to plead, or Christ is going to plead on our behalf. And so John just gives us this glimpse. And when he enters heaven for the first time, or has this glimpse of heaven... In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, this is what he sees. He said, After this I looked, and there before me was a door opening into heaven. Can you imagine that? And the voice I heard first speak to me like a trumpet said, Come on up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So right smack dab in the middle of the universe, there is this throne, and God is sitting on it, and he's running the universe. Ha! You think Nero's running the universe? You think Washington is running the universe? No, sir. God is running the universe. God is on the throne and that encourages us. By the way, can I make a good sub-point here? It's that you and I are not on the throne. We are not running the universe. God has his agenda and his work. I am not the center of his activity. He knows us. He loves us. But he alone receives the worship. God is on the throne. John seems to be at a loss for words at times. And I think he did his best with the limitations of human speech. But, you know, there were just things that he just couldn't even fathom. Things that he had never seen. And he's trying to describe them with his limitations. The gates of pearl and the streets of pure transparent gold and precious stones. Walls made of sapphires A crystal river flowing down through the city You know, a tree of life Just this beautiful, beautiful place And if what's going to be in heaven Doesn't wet your appetite enough Then maybe what won't be in heaven Will excite you You know, in December of 1987 I'll never forget this day I walked out of class after turning in my last graduate paper and taking my last graduate exam. And I was finally done. It had been hard. Ninety-eight hour master program after four years of college, it had been challenging, it had been hard, it had been difficult. And I just remember the relief. Finally. No more papers. No more staying up all night studying. No more final exams. Done. No more. You know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of no mores. No more crying or pain. No more arguments or anger. No more depression or anxiety, no more tumors or treatments, no more Alzheimer's, no more layoffs, no more tear-stained divorce papers, no more flag-draped caskets, no more mass shootings, no more tragedies, no more tears. That's what heaven's going to be like. So that's takeaway number one. We're all going to stand before God one day. Number two is this. God will keep his word. You know, you can bet on the fact that God will keep his word. Over and over through these, these weeks of studying through this series we've called The Story, we've seen over and over and over that God keeps his word. And we've seen over and over that God wants a relationship with us. That that message has never changed. So I'm going to jump over to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 21. As I read this, and it's up on the screen, I want you to just listen to these words. I mean, they're just so important to the Christian faith. Then I saw a new heaven, And a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth Had passed away And there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem Coming down out of heaven from God Prepared as a bride Beautifully dressed for her husband And I heard a loud voice From the throne saying Just listen to this Look God's dwelling place Is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He says, God's going to be with us and we are going to be his people. God's not going to be up there somewhere. He's going to be In our presence. I mean like literally in our presence. Not just the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be his people. Paul echoes this in Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies. So that they will be like his glorious body. And God keeps his promises. And we're going to be transformed. Instant transformation is rather appealing, isn't it? Just instantly. Perhaps you've heard the story, or it's one of my favorite stories, about the old country farmer who was going into the city, and he had never really been been in a big city. So he was taking his son, and he was taking his wife, and they were going to the big city. And when they got there, they were just overwhelmed by the size of the buildings and the skyscrapers, and they were just amazed. And finally, they pull up in front of one of these skyscrapers, and he looks at his son and he says, Son, we're going inside, and we're going to get us a city newspaper. So they went inside this building, and they were just mesmerized. And the thing that really caught their attention was these sliding glass walls that would just open and close. And they were watching that, and they watched this this elderly lady with the cane and these glass walls opened up. And this elderly lady went on into it, and the glass doors closed behind her. And they'd never seen anything like that. And then they watched, all these numbers were flashing, and arrows were going every which direction. And then finally, after about 30 seconds, to their amazement, those glass walls opened up again, and out walked this beautiful young brunette. The father looked at his son, he said, Go get mama! <laughs> My son Sean's going to fuss at me when we get home. Dad, don't tell those corny jokes. Well, heaven will be an instant transformation a lot faster than an elevator. And I don't know if you will look like you did when you were 21. I don't know if God will keep you eternally at the prime of your life at the perfect age of 57. (laughs) I don't know what it'll be. We have to wait and see, but Scripture does tell us that we're going to recognize people. And He promises us a glorified body that we can look forward to. God has kept every promise in His Word. And then there's one more promise He makes He promises to return. Everyone will stand before God, He will keep His Word. And finally, because he promises to return, the third takeaway is this. You need to be ready. Throughout the Gospels, numerous times, there are stories of Jesus or the disciples helping people understand that there are only two eternal destinations. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and there's no in-between. And if we continue reading down in chapter 21, verses 7 and 8, he puts it this way. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. And then he points out the alternative. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is... Second death. You know, I was in college. I, uh, for a couple years, I worked at a motel as a desk clerk, and I worked with this elderly lady for a number of, well, for all of those couple years there. And she was unapologetically an atheist, and we used to have these conversations quite frequently about my beliefs and her unbeliefs. And somehow, she was just fascinated that I was studying to be a pastor. And so we would quite frequently engage in those conversations as I mentioned about beliefs and unbeliefs. And one day I just kind of made this statement to her kind of at the end of a conversation. And I said it very gently, very kindly. I just said, if in the end I am wrong and you are right, then I have lost nothing. But in the end, if I am right and you are wrong, you have lost nothing. Everything. And then very sternly, she looked at me and she said, I am willing to take that chance. Now I don't share that with you because I think you ought to become a believer just so you got your bases covered, just in case, you know, kind of thing. You ought to become a believer because you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for your sins. But my point is, I'm constantly dumbfounded By people that are willing to roll the dice on where they spend eternity. Either they just are defiant, or they're apathetic, or they just never get around to it. And just rebel against God's plan for their life. I hope you don't misunderstand my my passion and think it's hatred because it's not. The Bible says that God desires for everyone to have a relationship with them. So this is not an attitude of, and I think sometimes Christians do this, and it's not right. Well, when the day of judgment comes, you're going to get what you deserve. That's not the way we need to be. We need to share with them, not because I told you so, but because God loves you. That's what we do. And it it's our responsibility as believers to share the good news. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came with love. But the next time he comes, he's also going to come with love and power. And sometimes, you know, people will just kind of say something to me like, You know, Pastor, when I see Jesus, the first thing I'm going to do is just give him a big hug. I just love Jesus so much. I just want to hug him. In all due respect, that might be the second thing you do. Because scripture says, every knee will bow. I think that's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to bow. Everybody. The skeptic, the agnostic, the atheist, the unbelieving neighbor. proud politician, the arrogant celebrity, your grandfather? Oh, pastor, you don't know my grandfather. He is stubborn. It's all get out. Not my grandfather. You don't know him. I don't have to know him because the Bible tells us every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is a Lord to the glory of God, the Father. You can count on every atheist, every agnostic, every non-believer will be convinced when he comes back. But you know what? There's not going to be a second chance him at that point. It's too late. And that's why it's so important for you and I as believers to share the good news with our family and with our friends and with our co-workers and the people that we go to school with. Max Licato, a Christian Arthur, author, tells this story. He said he had a friend who sent him an email telling me about a lady, telling him about a lady that was going to have surgery. And in the email, he told about this lady who was going to have surgery to remove a brain tumor. Before the surgery, in the consultation with the doctor, the doctor told her that he was concerned that the slightest Miscue could cause either a loss of eyesight or a loss of memory. So the doctor gave her the option. Which side of the tissue do you want us to operate on? In other words, when it came down to it, would you rather lose your eyesight or lose your memory? Which one? said, I think I need to give that some thought. So the next day, she called the doctor and she told him, she said, I think if I have to choose, I would rather lose my memory. He said, well, thank you for sharing that. He said, it's such a remote possibility. I don't think that's going to happen. But thanks for letting me know. And he said, I'm just curious. How did you arrive at your decision? The woman said this. I would rather see where I'm going than know where I've been. Can you see where you're going? Or maybe the most important question. Do you know Where you are going. When God moves that bus, are you going to be there? That wonderful place we call heaven. We spend so much of our lives answering so many insignificant questions. And we never get around to that so important question dealing with eternity. Are you going to be there? So as we close out the series, the question is this. Will you be there? Would you pray?